We're going to jump back into our Genesis text, Genesis chapter 20. Um, we're going to cover the chapter today. And Lord's willing, uh, next week, uh, KJ is going to preach the evening service as well. So, um, so I'll be skipping out next week as well. Um, but um, then eventually that following week, so we get back to chapter 21, which is the birth of Isaac. So uh, today we're going to go ahead and cover Genesis chapter 20. And um, <laughs> you guys can kind of get the drift of the life of Abraham so far. One minute he's faithful, one minute he's unfaithful, one minute he's faithful, unfaithful. Just a picture of all of us in this room. One minute we are trusting the Lord, and something come our way, we get anxious. Um, we're going to see it happen now. After last week, we heard how God um, um, gave Abraham. He prayed and asked the Lord to bring Lot, the righteous one, out of this. Uh, Lot was brought out of this. Uh, you would think it's time for Abraham now to praise the Lord. He brought Lot out, right? Lot is safely. He might have lost his wife and son-in-law, but the Lord brought him out of it. This is time for um, Abraham to truly be, truly be faithful to the Lord. Well, let's see if that happened today. Let me read it. Genesis chapter 20, starting verse 1. From there, Abraham journeyed towards the territory of the Negev, and they lived between Kadesh and Shur. And sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said to Sarah, his wife, She is my sister. And Abimelech. Abimelech. All right. King of Gerar sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of a woman, of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech, Abimelech had not approached her. So he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to, my, to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart, in the innocent of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. But listen to this. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. Verse 8. So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told them all the things, and the men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us, and how have I sinned against you, that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you see that you did this thing? Abraham said, I did it because I thought, there is no fear of God at all in this place. And they, were, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness you must do to me. At every place to which we come, say of me, he is my father. Verse 14, my brother, I'm sorry. Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants, female servants, and gave them to Abraham. 
and returned Sarah his wife to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you, dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you, and before everyone you are vindictive. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, and also healed his wife and female slaves, so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wounds of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Let me pray for us and the word of them, like I was messing with a couple people in the Hebrew class, uh, they had a challenge to figure out the word, and several of, several of, several of them figured it out um, yesterday. Uh, let me pray for us. Uh, Father God, I said, Heaven, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for bringing us back this evening. Lord, we ask you, Lord, to help us, Lord. As we hear about Abraham, Lord, and his unfaithfulness at times, Lord, we also see our lives, Lord, right now as well. So, Lord, we ask you, Lord, to help us be faithful. Help us not get afraid, Lord, and be anxious or struggle with anxiety, Lord. Let us trust in you, Lord, in those difficult times. Let us not put things in our own hands. Let us understand that, Lord, you are sovereign. You are the God that controls all things. So, Lord, let us, Lord, rest in you and trust you, Lord. So let this message, Lord, be encouraging to us today. Let it build your church up, Lord, for us, Lord, knowing that our God will care for us and that we don't have to put things in our own hands. So, Lord, help us, Lord, be faithful Christians amongst our fellow men and also before you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As I was thinking about this message, um, a couple things stood out. And one thing I've seen all throughout this message is kind of mostly just the sovereignty of God, how God is working in the life of Abraham in this particular chapter. They had me think about John Piper in an interview. He had about Calvinism and Arminianism. John Piper says this, the Calvinists didn't come up with five points to start off with. Some people say five points of Calvinism. The five points you have, the tulip. The T is total depravity. The U is unconditional elect. The, the next letter, L, is limited atonement. limited atonement. The I is irresistible, irresistible grace. And the P is Perseverance of the saints. Where did this come from? Did John Calvin come up with these five points? Where did they come from? Piper goes on to say the Calvinists wrote their vision, the vision of the salvation looked like, what it looked like, and how it happens under God's sovereignty. When the Arminians read it, they said, these are five places we don't agree. So the Calvinists, they wrote down God's sovereignty, and they picked down five things they don't agree with the Calvinists on. And that is where we got these five points from. The five points came from the five points the Arminians said they don't agree with. The Calvinists come in and say these are the five points that we stand true in God's word. So if you want to talk about what is the key sociological differences between Arminianism and Calvinism, you have to take these one by one. Here's what I would do, John Piper said. I would give one sentence for each Calvinism and Arminianism under the five points. And then I would say what I would say to my 13-year-old. So listen to this. So here we go. The Calvinists understand the depravity. Listen to this. Calvinism said people are so depraved and rebellious that they are unable to trust God without his special work of grace to change their hearts 
so that so they necessarily and willingly freely believe. Well, the Arminians say this about depravity. The Arminians say, with regard to depravity, that people are depraved and corrupt, but they are able to provide the decisive impulse to trust God with the general divine assistance that God gives everybody. They're saying is that they have this thing some people call preventing grace. Is that even though they're depraved, but they also have this grace to choose God. So pretty much is Calvin and say you're totally depraved. You can't choose God unless God do a work. They're saying that God still left enough good in us for us to choose him. Number two, election. Calvinism says that we are chosen. God chooses unconditionally whom he will mercifully bring to faith and whom he will justify and leave in their rebellion. Arminius says God had chosen us, elected to bring to salvation all those whom he foresaw will believe by bringing about their own faith and providing the disciple impetus themselves. And those God doesn't disciple produce the faith that he foresees. So what this and what many are saying is that, well, they're saying is that God saved us because God already knew what we was going to do. He saved us because he looked, he looked in future time, he knew we was going to do good. That's when he saved us. Calvinism said not that God looked before. God already elected us before we was even created. He already elected us to be set aside. Number three, atonement. Calvinism says that he said that in death of Christ, God provided sufficient atonement for all but designed that it be effective for the elect. Meaning that Christ's death purchased for them the new covenant of promise that God would bring about in his promised faith and perseverance. Arminians. Arminians say that in death of Christ, God provided sufficient atonement for all and designed that it would become effective by virtue of faith for which we, not Christ, provide. The decisive, the decisive impetus, meaning faith itself is not purchased by the cross, but that it is the human means of obtaining what the cross purchased, namely forgiveness of the sin. That we still got to work our way to God. Number four, the new birth. Calvinism said that new birth is God's work of renewal in our hearts, necessarily brings about the act of willingness, heartly, and saving faith. Arminius says the New birth is God's work of renewal in our hearts to, in response to our act of saving faith. God saw our faith first, then he acted. So it's for the moment we do this, then God is going to act upon what we have done. The last one, number five, perseverance. Calvinism said that God worked infallibly, uh, infallibly to preserve us in faith. All of us who are truly born again and that no one is ever lost who was truly born again. Arminius says... God works to persevere his people, but he does not always prevent some who were born again from falling away to destruction. So what gets said, Arminian said, is that God doesn't keep who he saves. If you notice the two I just described to you, one is saying that God does all the work. God saves us. We're told to pray. God is the one that gives us the faith to believe. God gives us everything. We're saved by God alone. The other ones on the other side are saying that we do the work. We do all these things, then God see how we do it, then God saves us. You might heard the saying is that God's, God's not going to want to save somebody that don't want to be saved. Family, none of us want to be saved. None of us want to be saved. God came down and did a work in our heart for us to have a desire of salvation. 
It was all God's sovereignty. God began to get work first. It's all God's sovereignty. Justin Sater says this. How do you understand the passage of this text right here in Genesis 26? When God tell Abimelech, I kept you from sinning against me. And I did not let you touch her. If God can prevent the action of this king, was the king choice free? And if God can do this for the king, can he does can he and does he do it for all of us? That's what he's getting at. So God, even, even in the life of Abimelech, Abimelech wanted to touch this woman. He wanted to do what he wanted to do with this woman, but he said, God said, I didn't let you touch her. It was God's sovereignty in this. And so what does Calvinism get said? It's God's sovereignty. And we respond to that sovereignty. How God now does a working of us to create, I mean, to do a working of us for us to have good works in our lives. God does a working of us to do those things. And he does the same thing with Abimelech and does the same thing with actual Pharaoh. Not for salvation sense, that God is the one that controls things. That Pharaoh only can get people go. God hardened his heart uh, with, with Pharaoh. That Pharaoh, even though he was still held responsible, it was God working in there. But in the same way, God was working in the sense that would Abimelech in our text here today. So what they're saying here today is that we're going to see the God, sovereignty of God. God is so sovereign. God has everything under control, but Abraham still doesn't trust God. I'm doing three points today. The first point is going to deal with Abraham before another king. Point number two, we're going to see Abraham afraid of another king. And last point we're going to deal with today, Abraham, I mean, Abimelech, bless Abraham. So jump point number one. Abraham before another king. From there, Abraham journeyed towards the territory of Negev. Abraham turned to the Negev. Negev is south of where he was at earlier. Earlier, we knew that Abraham was kind of further up. Um, but now he has moved further south now. Then between Kadesh and Shur. And he sojourned in the place of Gerar, Gerar. Which is near the place later that we know of where the place Samson is from. You guys know about the story of Samson and Delilah? They're from this area where he's from this area right here are the Philistines. What he's going to be when he go in and tie the foxes together and all that he's going to be doing. All that happened in the same area where Abraham is at today. This is close to the southern border. This is near the southern border of Canaan, which eventually touches Egypt. So he's not too far from Egypt right now as he's south. This is more desert area as well. Not sure the reason why he moved to this area. Um, not sure it was kind of winter time and um, he went there for it's a better climate and he's in the hot areas at this time not sure why Abraham is moving south or he probably just checking out the land that God gave him he was going by meeting the different kings meeting the different kings all over the different places in the land that God had told him to inhabit but the scripture doesn't tell us exactly why did Abraham go further south but whatever the case may be we see he meets the king of Gerar the king's name, Abimelech. His name means two words, off and the same word, Abraham. You see the two, the A-B in front of it? Whenever you see the A-B in front of a letter in, in Hebrew, it means father. Father. You remember Jesus in the Old Testament? Jesus said, Abba, Father, Abba, the A-B. Jesus was saying, Father. Father in Hebrew, then he said it again. Abba, Father. 
So the word Abimelech is this with the father. And the word Melech, this with king. So deal with like father is king or my father is king. So Abimelech is kind of reigning over this area right here. And it's territory that God has given to Abraham. This is Abraham not to be afraid to go to the territory. God gave him territory. He's going to take over these nations. You shouldn't have to be afraid. But what Abraham do normally when he go into kingdoms? He normally get afraid. You remember when he went to Pharaoh? He got afraid. And he said, hey, Sarah, this is my sister. He did that because he was afraid. Well, and our test today is put back in a similar situation like it was in Egypt. And Abraham probably thought for about for a second, split second, the last time I was closed down here at the border, I went on to Egypt and I dishonored the Lord. I'm close to Egypt again. You would think it would click in his head. It's like last time I was in Egypt, I lied and said it was my sister. But even though he's close to Egypt, it seemed like two and two is still not clicking for him. So he get there to this area before it came of Lippolet, and what it says right in verse 2. And Abraham says, Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. He did it again. He said, this is my sister. Abraham uses his same survival tactics again. He get afraid. He went back to whatever protected him in that moment. It was lying. And that's what he went back to. Out of fear, he lied before the Lord. He lies and says, Sarah, his sister. So Abimelech thinks that she's free. He thinks she is free to marry now. She's just his sister. He feels like he can marry her now. So now he's not dishonoring the Lord. He, now, so now he's not honoring the Lord. He's about to marry a man's wife. He's interested to make Sarah one of his wives. Abraham is in a similar situation again. His sin is now repetitive. On top of that, from chapter 12 all the way to chapter 20, a lot has happened. All the stuff we have happened, let me list a few real quick, Ms. Lee. Let me list a few for us. God gave Canaan to Abraham. God protected Abraham and rescued a lot from war. God kept reminding Abraham of the promised offspring. God rescued Lot from Sodom, we just talked about last week. God has been faithful to Abraham everywhere you go. To Abraham, nobody can put their hands on you. I got you, Abraham. I'm going to take care of you. God has shown that he's faithful. And I always say, you might got some cousins that ain't faithful. They have showed you something that ain't paid you back, whatever the case may be. But that's not God's resume. His resume is faithfulness, family. When, he, when we call upon him, he answers us. And a lot of times, he answers in ways that we didn't think or we didn't imagine him to answer us in. He does it by his own wisdom. He's faithfully answered his saints. So you think that God's faithfulness will compel Abraham. Abraham, you don't have to be afraid. The Lord is on your side right now. You don't have to lie and say it's your sister. His grace should compel him to trust him in this moment. His path doesn't triumph over the grace of the Lord. So family, what about us? Family, we can read the Old Testament. We got the Bible stories about Jonah. You know, and, and we hear about Jonah in the well. And um, we hear about 
all the different other stories in the Old Testament about Elijah, um, um, King Hezekiah, King Joash, how God has been faithful to bring them on along the way throughout the Old Testament. How many more examples of God's faithfulness do we need? We have plenty in the Old Testament, but God even give us more in the New Testament. Amen. Ain't that right, Brother Greg? He gave us new text in the New Testament. And the New Testament gives us the, the true picture of faithfulness of Christ on the cross. How Jesus, he, he trusted his father even when he was put to death and his father punished him. It said it pleased the father upon his own son. Even though Jesus was punished by his own father, Jesus still trusted his father to raise him up from the grave. So family, from Genesis to Revelation, we see the faithfulness of God. And we see the faithfulness of Jesus. Family, we don't have an excuse not to trust the Lord in hard times. We have so many examples. May we take our eyes off of mankind and put our glaze on Jesus. As we put our glaze on Jesus, let him be the encouragement we need to keep our eyes on him when times get rough for us. A lot of times we compare Jesus to man. Even though man has failed, our Lord will not fail us. So family, our past should be reminding us of God's grace. One thing Paul Tripp says in one of the devotions we get every day from Greg, that that's why all of us should daily celebrate the grace that frees us from the re regret of the past. This freedom is not the freedom of retraction or denial. It's not the freedom of rewriting our history. No, it's the freedom of forgiving and transforming grace. This grace welcomes me to live with hope in the present because it frees me to live my past behind. All of what I look back on and would like to redo has been fully covered by the blood of Jesus. I no longer need to carry the burdens of the past on my shoulders. So I am free to fully give myself to what God has called me to in, in, to in the here and the now. He quotes Philippians 3, 13 and 14. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Family, our past failures, family, let them not consume us to continue the things of the past, but let grace consume us to be able to look at Jesus and trust him so we won't redo the things in the past. So family, we don't have to continue the ways of the past. We can learn from God's grace even when we are faced with things that are so difficult for us in the time that kind of points the best to our past. Even when we place ourselves back in, into unfaithful situations, God still rescues us, Amen. even in the midst of that. We're talking about that in point three. Uh, well, point two, we're talking about it here. Uh, point two, Abraham afraid of another king. So Abraham didn't have enough boldness to tell Abimelech. Sarah was his pregnant wife. Think about it. She pregnant at the time now. That's even more evidence God is faithful. She got a baby on the way. You know, she's going to have a baby within a year, what the angel told him. So she got a baby on the way, and God said, I'm going to give you a child. And she, what, 90-something years old now. What, 98, 99? I think she's going to have a baby when she's 99. I think she's like 98 years old. And so and she even laughed at God and said, God, there's no way. I'm too old to have a child. 
And God still allowed her to, to be able to, to conceive. So does God faithfulness right there, right there before both of them. That she's going to have Isaac. And what happened here? They still dishonored the Lord. So what did the Lord do? Even though with Abraham, they have enough to stand for truth. Look who come down. God. The Lord came to Vimelech in a dream. Behold, you are a dead man because the woman you whom you have taken, for she is a man wife. Can Abraham just say that already? Abraham could have just said I'm married to her. And God said, forget it. I got to come down and do this again for you, Abraham. Just like Pharaoh, Abraham did the same thing. And Pharaoh said, hey, I thought she was single. Abimelech said, I thought she was single. He didn't know she was married. And this is just one verse also support many more verses how one man and one woman as well here. Some might say, why didn't God address the issue with men marrying multiple women throughout scriptures? You guys know Solomon had a lot of wives and David had concubines, other wives. Like, why didn't God address every single issue like they were different wives? I would say is that God doesn't address everything in scriptures. But sometimes he do, like here. He just said that this is some other man's wife. You can't marry her. Abraham's failure right here is, the, I mean, not, let me go back. I'm going to talk about other wives. We have so many other sins in the Old Testament God doesn't bring out in everybody. Uh, it's so many more sins, but God lets us know certain sins. And, but it got a narrative plan that Jesus is going to come along. I think if the Bible wants to talk about everybody seeing and every existence in the world, the Bible will never be finished. It'll never be finished. We'll still be, we'll still be in Genesis chapter 1. I mean, we're not perfect chapter 1. We'll still be in Genesis chapter 3 dealing with Adam and Eve's sins. But God doesn't address every sin in the Old Testament. But God has a plan. He addresses some. Then, then it goes on part of the story plan, story of the narrative within the story. And we see here that God doesn't address everything. But we see, though, that God does address this issue that she is married. Abraham's failure is not rebuked by God at every turn we see in his life. God could address everything in Abraham's life, but God doesn't. And think about even our own lives. What if God shows us everything about our heart right now? I think we'd be so discouraged right now seeing someone calling us out on everything. Think about it. Somebody, one of your friends or somebody, brother or sister in Christ, every time they see you, they're calling you out on something. Is that encouraging? Every time you look up, you did this, you did this, you did this, you did this, you did this. That's not God, is it? God doesn't call us out on every single thing at every single moment. What God does, though, he shows a little bit about our failures. He grows in that. Then he shows us more about our failure. He grows in that. He gives us a little bit at a time. He knows our capacity that we can't carry all this. He gives us a little bit to grow us in this. And that should help us too. For those around you, they might not be perfect. But every time you see them and you call them out on certain things, they can get to a point and say, I can never meet that standard. I just give up on all this. So family, may we be gracious as our God. May we be kind of the God. We help a brother along, a sister along, and we help them through this. Something else might come up, 
months, a year down the road, we help him with that. But God doesn't do that with Abraham. He doesn't bring out everything in Abraham's life. God is a kind God. And what happens here in the rest of the story? With Abraham taking Sarah, trying to make her his wife, the Lord will punish Abimelech for this. So Abimelech is pleading with the Lord, how could you punish an innocent people? It ain't my fault the dude lied. I thought she was single. That was his fault. God let him know that he knew what happened. I know Abimelech settled down. I knew that all what took place. I know exactly what happened. And God kept him from sinning. It was God that helped Abimelech. God kept him. And this is what God does in the life of all of us. He restrains us at, at, at times. A lot of things we could really make a mess of, but God keeps us and intervenes and he keeps us. A lot of times uh, I saw myself about to do something really silly and my phone died. And during that time my phone died on the charger, it had me time to pray. And said, the Lord, if my phone didn't die, I probably have made a mess of a situation. Many of the time, God has intervened with different circumstances for us not to make a mess for us to spend time in prayer. And sometimes the phone don't die, do it? And sometimes we do make a mess of situations. But a lot of times, God intervenes, y'all. Y'all can look back at a certain situation, man. I mean, one time, I was driving on the road, and I almost hit her 18-wheeler one time. I don't think I'll even know about that, but I almost hit 18 wheeler one time. I was driving. It was only by God's grace that my car didn't run into that vehicle. But I was speeding with ice on the ground. You know, I wasn't thinking. And just how God intervened, even in our failures, we all can testify that. We all would have hurt relationships by now with friends and family. God has intervened so many times in our lives. And he continued doing it. And he did it right here in Vimley. And God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He still does the same today. And so God says, hey, wait on me. Trust me. Before you lie right now, this is time for them income tax right now, all of y'all. Y'all know them income tax season. Using all them kids, you know them kids ain't been staying with y'all. This is the time right now is going to be tempted to carry them kids. But trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. He, he got you. You ain't got to have them kids on your taxes to be careful. You can be honest. But I don't know what it is maybe. It might be classwork. You couldn't get an assignment in in time. You're looking at somebody else, you're cheating on the paper. Now, I used to do that, but the Lord saved me. Now, I'm, I'm a pastor now. I'm not in school no more. But for y'all to be encouraged not to give in to that temptation on a later assignment, for you to trust the Lord. And as we trust the Lord, the Lord will provide for us in those moments. And that's what Abimelech. So Abimelech told his people all what happened, and they were afraid of what the Lord could do. Then Abimelech approached Abraham. Abimelech said to Abraham, what did you see that you did this thing? Abraham said this right here. I did it because I thought there's no fear of God at all in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Family, that's fear. He did it because of fear. When God talked, I think about it in chapter 16 and 15, God approached Abraham, and God told him, do not fear. What did Jesus tell the disciples in John 14? Two times, three times. He said what? Do not fear. In the English version, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Um, we same pastor we read at, read at funerals. He talks about go prepare a place. 
He go down and say what? Do not be afraid. I think Christians, what we fall short in when we get afraid. We get afraid. We won't get the things that our heart desire in that particular moment. It can be relationships. It can be loneliness. Whatever the case may be. When we get afraid, we put things in our own hands. The Lord is saying, do not be afraid. Yes, he gossip about you. Yes, she gossip about you. Yes, they did this wrong thing to you, but I got you. I got you. You don't have to be afraid. Can we be afraid? We put it in our own hands, and we try to bring about judgment in a better way than God can bring judgment. We try to take the place of God. We try to vindicate things. And what God says here, it said, I would do it. I would do it. I would be the one that's the true. I'm the true judge. And I would take care of your enemies. Abraham got afraid. And he dishonored the Lord. He did two things here. As he dishonored the Lord, he also he lied to Abimelech. All the things that could have happened here because of the sin here. They remind me of the sin of David and Bathsheba. How David, the one sin of lust in his heart and pride in his heart, next thing you know, he was somebody else's wife. Next thing you know, he part of murdering somebody else. Now he's been deceitful and plotting. Now you see a multiple, multiple two of sins now, don't you? One little fear grows to a tree, a multitude of more sins. Family, we can be honest with the Lord. If we struggle with lust, we struggle with certain things. We have a gentle and lowly Savior we can go to. And we can come to him with all of our pains and all our burdens. And we can be honest with him. Lord, I know I'm going to make a mess of myself by being honest before this person. I'm going to be, this is going to be so embarrassing what I'm about to say. But Lord, you told me to be truthful. Lord, you told me to honor you. And I guarantee you, as you do that, you better sleep well at night. Knowing that you're under the Lord. If not, you're going to continue going down the hill of unfaithfulness. And what did Abraham do here? After he said that he, that he thought there was no fear of God in them, that he was afraid of them, he did what he did. Verse 13, and when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness you must do to me. At every place to which we come, say of me, he is my brother. So the brother is like, he, he's been vulnerable now. He's snitching now. He's telling everything now. You know, you get somebody, ask them how they're doing, and say, come on out and share how your heart really is. So Abimelech said, what's going on? What's happening? What you do? And Abraham and I come out of everything now. Hey, we've been doing this everywhere we went. I, so I imagine how many times they probably really did this then. Man, they probably did this thing about 20, 30 times. They went around every kingdom saying, hey, this is my sister, my sister. And think about it. Every time they say it, they're getting blessed. So that made me think about, you know, Genesis 13 with Lot. They're talking about so many sheep and all this stuff. They got so much stuff to separate. Could Abraham get all this stuff because he's been lying all this whole time? But even though God blessed him with these things. But I just can imagine how many times he went around a different king and said, this is my sister. It worked, and he continued to do it. So what's the end of your life you continue to do in this working for you? Feel good in that moment? It sound good in that moment? But what's the end of your life you're steady going back to for comfort? What is it? 
I think we all have some area we like to go back to for comfort. Because it worked in the past. Even though God judged him and, and he saw that what he did was wrong in the past, even when we saw what we did wrong in the past, we still go back to it. What sins that we see that are comfortable for us, even though we know it's sin against God, but it got us through. Those are sins right there that we got to be put, we got to put to death. But we all have some that we have in our lives that are comfortable because we got some benefit from them. One thing about pornography is the benefit about pornography. Right? You keep going back to it for, for certain reasons, for certain comforts. But God shares this right here is that you can come to me for comfort. All those things you're trying to find comfort in, you're going to have to keep going on, you have to keep lying, keep going online, keep doing this. God said, just come to me. Just come to me. Don't be afraid of those that are before you. Come to me. Last point, point three. We see this right here as we end. Abimelech blessed Abraham. But even though Abraham dishonored Abimelech and the Lord, the Lord is still kind to him. Abraham was to be a witness of the Lord to the unbelieving Abimelech, but he is being a terrible example. How is Abimelech supposed to know the God of creation if Abraham was the one that shared the gospel with him, how is he going to know the God of creation if Abraham right here lying in front of him? Why would he want to serve the God of Abraham if Abraham is right here lying before him right now? Abraham is not looking any different from the world at this moment. If we want to be a witness to the world, we must live out the message of the gospel that we claim. How is our laws? Are we just talking a good game? How is our laws before the Lord? Abraham, he have talked a good game in the past, but also we have seen here now have dishonored the Lord before those before him. So family, the people that you're praying for in your life, could it be a reason they have responded to the gospel is because of how we care for ourselves. Or how we carried ourselves in the past. Now we are trying to carry ourselves as a Christian. But the only thing they see is our past. We might be the only access to the gospel for that person. May we be faithful witnesses before the world. If the people can't trust Christians, who can they trust in the world? Right now, Palm Buffalo is considered a Christian community. We have a lot of church, even though so many churches have dissolved over the year, we have so many churches on every block. And we are a Christian city. Why do we look like this? Why, why, does, why does the city in the center, why do we look like, why, why does someone's bother to turn one in our city? Shoot Christians, we should be a witness to the world. What does the gospel look like in a Christian life? So family, are our co-workers coming to us for guidance? But they don't want to come to us. But they see us as being the most, you know, messiest person or a person that is not encouraging to anyone at work or anyone in school or anyone around friends. So family, let us learn from the life of Abraham and Vimelech that we live a life that's honoring to the Lord and that somebody that's out there that's an unbeliever, they might ask us, what does it mean to follow Jesus or how we lived our life before us? But Abimelech still blessed Abraham, we see this in 14 to 16. Abimelech took sheep and oxen, male servant and female servant, and gave them to Abraham. 
And he goes on to say, to Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver, and it is a sign of our innocence and our eyes. So he gave Abraham all these things, and they blessed Abraham, even though Abraham failed you. But also, God also blessed Abimelech. At this time, while Sarah coming into the house, now the women and the maidservant, none of them have kids. All their wounds had closed up right now because they took in Sarah. Like God was going to judge them. Think about it. A king can't have kids now. Like, you know, in that kingdom, the kingdom is going to dissolve. He closed the wound out of everybody in this town. Everybody, no women can have kids anymore. He closed them all up at this particular time. So God was going to shut down his kingdom, this kingdom right there. They were going, if he would have put hands on Sarah, on Sarah, God would have shut the whole kingdom down. But God in his grace preserved her, and now God opened up the womb for them to have children. Show the goodness of God. Application. When faced with previous challenges, how do you respond? The same challenges you have fell into sin in the past, how do you respond and fall into those sins again? Fear has led how we have responded in the past, and fear will lead us to respond the same way again if we continue doing the same thing. We must not allow fear to continue to disciple us. I think the, one, of the, one of my favorite theologians is Greg King. He said we always are discipled by something. And so a lot of times we are discipled by our fears. And fears can lead us to trust in our flesh over than trusting God's word. May we trust God's word and be led by God's word. When faced with fear, pause. Let me give you some application. When you're fearful and something happens, you feel like you got to make a decision, don't make the decision, even though they want you to make it. Pause and pray. Amen. Pause and pray. Look at a package of scripture. Something you got memorized right now. I know y'all memorizing scriptures. Pray. Read through that scriptures in your heart in that moment. Before you do anything, before you want to respond, before you send that test message, before you make that phone call, call a brother or sister in Christ. Let them point you to God's word. Look at God's word. Pray before you say anything. Now, somebody got a gun or something, continue to pray first. But try to run if you can. But you pray first. You know, you pray as you run. You can do both at the same time. Uh, but for the most part, before we react in a situation, stop. Pray. Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord in that moment. Spend a season. If it doesn't have to be answered right now, let the person know, hey, let me get back with you. I'm spending time with the Lord in this season. It might be a week. It might be a couple days. But I'll prefer, I'll prefer you to wait on the Lord than give in and compulsion, right, and dishonor the Lord. On impulse. So in face with trials, pause and seek the Lord. Number two. Fear has no limits in conforming your heart to doubt. It will try to convince you it's okay to continue walking in faithlessness after you have failed. You did it before in the past. Hey, God got you through it then. You can do it again. You, you seen like this in the past. Hey, you ain't got screwed down, did you? You can do it again. That's what fear tried to convince you of in the flesh. Last time it happened, wait, you just went to the Lord and prayed to do it again. It will try to get you comfortable with failure. It will tell you you already sinned, so it won't hurt to do it again. Family, don't buy into that lie. Do not buy into that lie. Remember, suffering for Christ is better gain than in the comforts of this world. No two minutes or five minutes of satisfaction 
but money or whatever the case may be is better than what we get with Jesus. So don't give in in that moment. Yeah. Trust the Lord in that moment. And by trusting the Lord, again, recite scriptures back to yourself. Point number three as we end here, or application three. Even in our failures, even when we fall short, always turn things around. God always turns things around for our good. God responds to our failures by using them to our sanctification. His wisdom takes advantage of every moment it gets its hands on and grows in the image of his son. That's, a, that's amazing, isn't it? Even the people that mean evil for you, God's going to use them to make you more like Jesus. Amen. They never win. God used the evil in our life, all the evil and the sin all around us, he used it to make us better. It's a win-win situation, y'all. The song, I think it belongs to us. All we do is win, 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 win. Mm -hmm. I don't know how the rest of it go. We win, fam. God turned a bad and difficult time to let us see our own heart, to let us see that we're not as kind and compassionate as we say we are. So before we lift up our hand and get mad at those around us, look at them and tell them, thank you for hating on me. Thank you for allowing, thank you for doing what you did because God is going to use you. You don't have to tell them that. Tell yourself in your mind. But God's going to use them to make you more like Jesus. You need some of that in your life. We all need We don't want it, right? We don't want none of that in our life. But we need all those things that come in our way for us to see ourselves in the midst of trials and situations. So family, before we get in, like again, to give in to, 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 to impulsing, you know, and to, to, to down somebody else, but to say, Lord, what are you doing right now and using this for, for your good and my good? Ask the Lord that. Because I guarantee you, if you're truly in Christ, it's going to be for your good and long run. So, for us, God is trying to eliminate blood pressure medicine now. With all this happening now, God says, I got you. All our stress levels should go down. All our stress levels should go down knowing the Lord has got us. So let us trust the Lord, fam. Let me pray for us.